0: Thomas, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you've been working analyzing the media industry for a very long time now, uh, looking at the future of media. I started professionally
1: doing this in 2010, so it's been 13 years. But uh, I worked for uh, 10 years before that as a digital media manager for one of the largest fashion companies in my country. So that was the, on the other side of media, but it, it was still media. So basically, I've been doing this since the year 2000.
0: So you're, of course, working in a very rapidly moving landscape following the evolution of media. And there's plenty to follow. Yeah. By the nature of your choice, you are deeply involved in information and making sense of the world. Yeah. I'd like to hear a little bit more about the, the history of your relationship with information.
1: It's a funny thing because what I do as a media analyst is I try to do all the work that publishers don't have time for, basically, to try to figure out what is happening around the media and and around, well, basically with everything. And that requires a tremendous amount of information. And you know this as well with your work that if you want to see what's what's ahead in the future, you can't just look at a few studies. You have to (laughs) really be in the information all the time uh, on all of it. And so you can get a bigger picture of it. I I spend all my every day basically just looking at reports and studies and data and all kinds of things. And uh, it can be uh, quite daunting sometimes. And well, it's fun also.
0: (laughs) I'd love to dig into some of the details. I'm I'm sure there's not a typical day, but what's your information day look like? Yeah. How do you start? What do you look at? Do you have any patterns or structures and what you spend time on? And where do you look? What, what does your information day look like?
1: Well, uh, first of all, there is no day. There's there's the same. It depends on what I'm working on. But one of the f- things that I have changed because of for myself trying to manage things is I built a tool. So I, ha- have, a, I have a tool that is built by myself where I gather all my main sources so that's all my podcasts all my newsletters all the reports that i know is coming in uh, and also other uh, sources like websites where i know that you know they're publishing things i need to know about so for instance uh, inma the the news uh, organization they publish a lot of blog blog, uh, posts so my research to Gathers all that up automatically. I have a script that is running every, every every ten minutes that is looking for if there's something new. And what I do basically when I want to look into things is I start there. I've, I've simply built a tool trying to make sense of things. And what this tool is doing at, at you know besides just having all these different sources in one place, is that it also has a, a note-taking tool right beside it. So if I see a new report, for instance, I can go through it, read it, and then I can take screenshot or take quotes and put it into my note-taking tool right, right next to it. And so when I'm working on something, uh, well, w- when I'm trying to figure out what is happening on what the trends are, what the things are, that's what I'm looking at. Then the following days, if I'm working on a specific project for a publisher or if I'm writing an article, I use that tool to go in and look at what kind of notes I've written about things. So in the note-taking tool, I have a search feature. So I can say, I want to uh, look at what did I write about uh, subscriptions, for instance. And it will show me a list of the notes with reference to which document, which newsletters, which reports it's from. That really gives me a a very quick, but also very um, efficient way for me to to get that information and and to organize it if you will and then of course we have i mean when we get into the the really uh, very specific that's just hard work i mean i i will spend hours days maybe even weeks just looking at things you know if i have a question i don't really know something about i will i will just spend tons and tons of time trying to find things. And, you know, there is no simple way to do that. It's it's Google. It's some of my other sources. It's uh, some of the sites that I maybe know that maybe they have some data about it. It's it's a mix of everything. But my research tool is absolutely my starting point and And that has been critical to my uh, information management.
0: That's really interesting. There are many, many tools out there to do parts of what you've done. Yeah. So why have you made the choice to develop your own? two reasons.
1: (laughs) First thing is that uh, I happen to know how to code. And I learned that back in the 90s. And so every single time I've looked at one of the standard tools, they are all very impressive, but they don't necessarily do exactly what I needed to do. And so in order to optimize it for me, I built this tool so that I could get it to do just what I wanted. I, I mean, one really critical element of it is how much is doing automatically. So it's I don't have to add anything to it. Well, I can add, add it manually if I want to, but for ninety-nine percent of it, it is being imported automatically with some scripts and some some code and some things. And that really saves some time because the problem is if if you have one of the standard tools. Not only do you have to use them in order to figure out what you want, but you also have to spend an enormous amount of time bringing the data in. And every single day I get, uh, what, 30, 40 newsletters alone. And if I had to manually put them into a note-taking tool in order to figure out what what it was, I will never get that done. Here, I have it into the tool. It is searchable. I can add notes to it if I want to. And so I just I decided to create a tool that for me just was super optimized to the way I work. And so that, that was what I found to be the most important thing.
0: Fascinating. So have you ever considered putting this out to market?
1: Well, <laughs> I've actually been asked by several people about it. The problem is it's not designed for it. It's, it's really designed for me. So one of the things I've also done is not related to this, but I've also built my own site. So my site, uh, when, when, when people visit that and, and all the things is on that, all the code for that is built around, uh, built that too, including the backend system, including the database and the CMS and all that. So when I built this resource tool, it is just built on top of that. Basically, the resource tool took one day to build. So, it, it was that quick, but it was only that quick because I built it on top of the system I already have. So, I can't, I can't sell it without completely re-engineering it. And so, people have asked me about it, but uh, yeah, I have no plans for it.
0: <laughs> That's fascinating. And it goes to the point that so much of our lives, we adapt ourselves to technology. And it's nice to be able to... Yeah. Say, this is what I do, and this is what I want to do. In your case, to have the capabilities to create the technology to do that. Yeah, I've had uh, many conversations with people say, I like Notion, or I like Obsidian, and I'm going to yeah. choose which one is the best one, but it doesn't have these features. So they're, they're adapting themselves to the tools.
1: Yeah, but I will always say that today, it, it's almost necessary to also be able to do a lot of these thing, uh, things, because when I do my analysis, for instance, if I want to do some data analysis, I mean I could open Excel and do something, but sometimes it's just easier if I have a really large data set to just build a script for it and 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 do the the analysis that way. It has become just part of the way I work, that, that I I have, you know, <laughs> the data in front of me and the reports in front of me and, and if I want to do something instead of trying to do it the hard way, I can just write some code for it. And and that really makes it efficient once you can do it but it's it's an important thing i mean the the future analysts I would almost say they need a, a computer science degree because it it is so much about how we are able to work with information we have the problem is it's not just data right? i mean its it's not just a, a a simple database most of the data we have is completely chaotic so we have to figure out a way to somehow manipulate that in ways that isn't just something you can do in Excel. Coding is one way to do it. I mean, I want to clarify here. I don't just code everything. I have this specific tool and it's it's really helping me. But 90% of my time, I do the same thing as everyone else is that I look over the text and the reports and those things manually. And I try to figure things out. And, uh, you know, most graphs and data we get is probably in a PDF file and we can't even convert it to data. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's rather hopeless to work with uh, as a script, but uh, yeah.
0: Yes, it's not that difficult to suck in a lot of text and uh, build some structure around it. But one of the interesting points yeah. here is that you are pulling it all together into yeah, one exactly. place. So there's a lot of data, a lot of information, as opposed to being very selective around what you incorporate.
1: And another thing that's also very important is that uh, when it comes to the information that I use, I always try to get the data. So one example, we recently had the, the Reuters Institute, the digital uh, media uh, report. They produce that every year. It's really, really great. And you can go to the website, and you can see all the graphs and everything It's really, 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 really amazing. But I actually went out to Reuters and I said, could you give me the data? and I saved the data. So I have something like I think it's 22 gigabytes of data from Reuters. <laughs> so so I have the ability now to to go behind the reports and to look at okay the thing about all these these reports is they they're picking the things they want to focus on and Reuters are doing a really good job with it but very often, you want to look behind it, and you want to see, okay, what what was the question actually when they asked it, and what was the data that they didn't include that may also show some kind of patterns. So, so a lot of the time, when I try to figure out how to do things with information, is is simply to get back to that raw source, and it's the same thing which we talk about, you know, some kind of political analysis. I don't do that that much, but if I do, I want the raw polls i don't want what's what's in the newspapers that's basically useless I want the raw polls. I want to be able to see what they actually ask. I want to see how they define it. And and that is much more helpful.
0: Absolutely. It's fantastic that Reuters have been good enough to share the data with you. In other cases, you can look for the data source and find it yourself. Yeah. So increasingly, the sharing of data behind the charts is extraordinarily valuable. One of the interesting things is that you read reports. You've mentioned that a number of times as significant uh, information sources. I read reports too, probably not to the same depth as you. But what's amazing is that not many people read reports because they're so long. So I'd love to hear, what's your process of reading and distilling and digesting and taking what is useful from a good report?
1: Well, it it depends a lot on the report. I mean, if we're talking about the Writers Institute report, I've spent weeks just looking at that. I probably get a report every day on average. And most of them are about something, you know, either very specific or something in an area that I probably can't use. So in those cases, I'm just like everyone else, just glancing over it. And I'm trying to, I, I'm not really reading the text in full. I'm just finding the graphs that I'm seeing if there's something interesting. And if there's not, I'm moving on. But, you know, I would be out of time in no time if I try to read every single report in, in, in depth. But every single time then when we come across something where we see, okay, this is really interesting. Like, for instance, uh, how we've seen in the media industry, uh, we have this thing called the stop rate. And the stop rate is how effective that newspapers are at stopping people and asking them to pay. And what we found across multiple reports now is that the stop rate is a very strong indicator of how successful newspapers are at converting people into subscribers. So once we started seeing that pattern, that was when I really dug in. And and then I read... I go into the report totally fully read everything in order to to see if I can see something and then we find other reports and other things and I did the same thing with uh, with news avoidance uh, not a big topic i've been focusing on and and news avoidance there are so many reports about it, but they are incredibly inconsistent. And so in order to really understand what happens with them, you really have to dig in in order to see what are the differences between why is this data saying that it's 70% and why is this data saying it's 40% and why is this data saying it's only 15%? I mean, you can't just look at a graph and say, okay, <laughs> all, all these different numbers, they don't add off. You have to go in and really figure out what was the reason for this massive massive difference and often it's how they ask the question or uh, the circumstances or uh, yeah all these
0: different things you are listening to the thriving on overload podcast if you truly want to increase your information productivity then check out the thriving on overload interactive course it is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. This goes to the point of sense-making. You're seeing a lot of information. You're seeing a yeah. lot of depth to that information. And your role, of course, is to make sense of that, to be able to see the patterns, to be able to pick out what are the directions, what's meaningful in the evolution of the media landscape. So how do you do that? How do you pull all of that into something which is truly that level of sense-making, of building this model of the bigger picture?
1: Yeah. I wish I could say I have have some really s- smart system for that. I don't. What I'm basically doing is the same thing that the AIs are now doing today. We hear about the AIs all the time. And what the AIs are doing is they are, they're just gathering information. And then through that information as a whole, we start to see a direction. And it's that direction I then cling on to and try to figure out. I mean, to take news avoidance, for instance, and news fatigue. I mean, I could I could directly point you to uh, Reuters Institute and they have a really good report about it, but that's not the only one. And so what I do is I look at all these different reports and the numbers are usually, they, uh, the numbers could be all over the place, but there's usually some kind of pattern and there's usually some kind of direction and some kind of momentum in all of them. And... What I then do is I say, okay, on the whole, this is the direction things are moving in. And so that is what I need to focus on and look into more or talk about or write about other things. What I also do when I get to a point where I don't really know how to make sense of it is I try to turn it into some kind of action. And uh, News Avoidance is a really good example of that. I started... I mean, the first article I wrote about news avoidance was back in 2010. So I've been (laughs) talking about this for ages, but I really started looking at it in 2019. And what I found back then was that all these different reports were so inconsistent, I couldn't really get a sense of it. And so instead, I decided to do an experiment. And the experiment was that even though I'm a media analyst, I cut myself off news entirely for a month, completely, totally, entirely. Because I wanted to see, you know, I could see the reports, I could see what people have been answering and people were saying, but I couldn't see why. And so by doing that experiment, and trying to really get the feel for it, suddenly I discovered a lot of things. And and with News award, what I discovered was that it is astonishing how bad news is for you. And, and that is painful for me to say as a media analyst because it's my, my industry. But I mean, once you cut yourself off so completely as I did, you you realize that you know 99.9% of the news you see all the time is completely meaningless. It, it has no value for you and it's just filling up your life. And so that was a really eye-opener. One of the things I did with that experiment also, because I'm an analyst, I don't just do the experiment and then forget about it. I uh, had a system, again, (laughs) we talk about there was a bit of coding, but I I actually built a script that automatically took a screenshot of all the newspapers I usually follow. And every single day for that month, it took a screenshot of the front plates. And I didn't look at it at all. But after a month, I went back to it, and I started looking at it. And my idea was that I would write down all the articles that I had missed that was really really important for me to know and what happened was I didn't write anything down that actually came as a shock to me i, I was when I moved into it my assumption was that that I had missed something really important but it was the opposite that that all the news even even the thing that was, that was kind of important there was a terrorist attack and kind of thing but if you read about it a month later it's over right it's 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 not you can't use it for anything you can't do anything with it and so that really you know define what this trend really meant uh, for me so that's basically what i do i look at a report and do the thing and, and if if i don't understand it completely i try to do something try to figure out what what it means
0: that's absolutely fabulous this goes exactly to nassim nicholas taleb's quote which is something like uh, spend time reading last week's newspapers so you realize there's no real point to anything that you read.
1: Yeah, but you you see just today, I don't, I don't know if you have read the news this morning, but uh, today we had uh, uh, Biden going out and saying that the three balloons they shot down in the US over last week, they were not Chinese and they were not surveillance. They were probably just private balloons by someone. And so we have had a, a week, if not more, of news coverage about these balloons, only to now realize that there was basically no story. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's astonishing when you think about how much time have you spent over the past week looking at these things and reading about these stories and filling up your brain and your life with these kind of information only to realize you can't use it for anything. It's, it's completely meaningless.
0: This goes to our human propensities. We do want the novel. We do want to keep on yeah. top of the latest. I think it's yeah. hard to transcend that. And that's part of what we need to work on to yeah. transcend our propensities for lots exactly. of information, which is not necessarily serving us. I think it's great that you're doing this kind of experiment to find this out uh, properly for yourself. Exactly. We, we have a word for it. Right? It's,
1: it's formal, the fear of missing out. And and in my article about news avoidance back in 2019, I wrote that what I realized after doing that is that we have a new word, and that's JOMO, the joy of missing out. And that's really what, what changed things. Because before, I mean, I, I'm a media analyst, so I'm, I'm a news junkie. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of my profession, but it it was, it was astonishing, it, not just in terms of how much it was filling up my life, but also how it felt in terms of my mental health. I mean, I would wake up in the morning and news is so negative, so I would always have this kind of negative mood every single time I, I have finished reading the news. But when you cut yourself off news for a month, you suddenly don't wake up being annoyed, and that was, I mean, wow, that that was a big, big uh, thing to realize, and and it has changed. I mean, one of the reasons why also I have to I organize my information this way today is because I realized that just having a constantly flowing information filling up your life, that is really not beneficial for you. It's much more useful for you and and not just not just in terms of getting information and being informed but also in terms of your 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 mental state to have that information organized in a way that makes more sense and it's the same thing about you know social media because the way everyone uses social media is you just have this constant feed and it just flows your way but one of the things i wrote about a couple of years ago was that the most important thing people should do on social media is to set up filters. So every single topic that starts to dominate your awareness in ways you can't use it, those needs to be filtered out. And that's not about creating a filter bubble or anything like that. That's simply about managing how much of any specific topic that starts to fill up your lives. So uh, on Twitter, I, I I don't actually use Twitter anymore. I, I have had enough of, about uh, mosque, so I dropped Twitter. But uh, on Twitter, I had uh, 200 filters. And obviously, there were things like Trump and, <laughs> and that kind of things where you're just totally bombarded with it every single day. But uh, every single time you have a topic where... You really can't use the information for anything. It's just filling up your your mental space. I created a filter for it. Even if it was something that was basically useful, uh, in in uh, not useful, no, something that was interesting, something that that I didn't that didn't bother me. But if it was dominating me so that I couldn't focus on other things, I filtered it out. And I want to say, you know, this is very important. When you filter something out on social media. It doesn't mean it goes away. Some people think that. But if, for instance, I I filter out uh, Trump, but I probably still see a post about Trump every single day. It's just the difference is that without the filter, I would see it 20 times a day.
0: I'd like to pull back to the big picture. I'm sure you already have some insights on this. What would be, from your experience and your analysis, the most important things that people can do to manage the onslaught, to make sense of things, to... In addition to what you've already talked about, what are the recommendations you would make for people to thrive, to do well in this world of uh, unlimited information?
1: So I have a, a history, a personal history around this. And the history is that I totally and completely collapsed with stress uh, many years ago. And I actually got to a point where I had to change my life. Otherwise, I couldn't get back, basically. And so what I did back then, out of necessity, was that I really spent some time thinking about what is important for me, for my health, for my work, for my focus, for all these different things. And what I've done since then is that I have been exceptionally aggressive about that. And so, th- this is about everything. It's, it, it's, it's about, you know, when I read the news. It's about which sources I pick out. If there's a source that that, that is really not useful, it goes away. And so, I, I'm I'm very particular about uh, what I pull in and what I leave out. And I think that is one of the most, you know, absolutely critical thing that people need to do. The other thing, to put it in the other perspective, is also to, to have a wider view, basically. One of the things I did a couple of years ago was that I realized that on my Twitter profile, again, I don't use Twitter anymore, but back then something like... I can't remember the number anymore, but something like 80% of my information was m- male-dominated. So it came from men, about men, all kinds of things. So I I sat down and I very, very specifically created a new kind of uh, uh, following or it were people I follow so that it had a better mix. And I also... I mean, one thing was the gender difference and it was astonishing the difference that make because suddenly... You know, we men might sound very fancy, but uh, we have a very, you know, same way of thinking. <laughs> and, and and once you really start to, to, to bring in a more diverse gender profile, you start to see things that, that you just, wow, I didn't even know this was a problem. And, and uh, the other thing I also did was that I started looking at... Uh, More specific sources outside my field expertise. So I'm a media analyst, I was obviously focused on media and I follow a lot of media people. But I decided to go out and and figure out: okay, in, in other areas where, you know, that influence the world about, you know, health or automotive or other things, how can I follow people in that kind of space that can tell me about? you know, patterns and things that are happening that I might not see in the media. And, you know, the media generally, I mean, I love the media. When I talk, when I'm a bit uh, uh, critical about it, it's not because I don't love it, but the media is itself always in the filter bubble. The The media is not very good at changing and thinking about new things and seeing new directions. And so it's it's really important for me as a media analyst to to see all these other things from other people. So that's that's something you know I spend a lot of time making sure that I have that kind of information coming into me and also that it is diverse. I want to say one more thing about uh, the uh, diverse when, when I say diverse I mean valuable uh, d- diverse uh, uh, sources. In the media, when they talk about uh, diverse sources, it means taking the most horrible people and some not-so-horrible people and mixing them together. That's not useful. We can't use that information for anything. And so, uh,
0: That's a great distinction. I would say the bigger point here is just be conscious. What am I actually doing? Is this useful to me? Maybe I need some other sources. Let's mix this up. Let's make this work. I, I think that meta advice you're giving is be conscious of what you're doing and try different things. Yeah, exactly. See what is most helpful.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, seriously, just be extremely aggressive about what you pick and what you don't pick. I mean, uh, so um, uh, Twitter is a good example again. I don't use it, so it's actually a horrible example. But back then, I only had about 400 things I followed—400 people or companies or, or things—and even when i changed my my focus and i tried to get in more women i tried to get in more other sources i kept that number at 400 so i removed a lot of men i i used to follow because they didn't really add that value i wanted from them and then i brought in these new sources but i didn't increase my total volume because that would I mean, if you do that you just end up being overloaded and and so it's, it's, I think it's really, really important that people, you know, be very, very mindful about how much they bring in and where they bring it in from. So, and I, I'm, not a, I'm not some kind of guru or expert in this. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a constant struggle for me also, but I mean, it's, I think those two things are really important.
0: I think that's fantastic advice and that's a great way to end up. So thank you so much for your time and your insight, Thomas. It's been fascinating. We really could talk for a lot longer. We'll try to get you on another time. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.